So, hi, this is Florian uh, with 99 Startups, and I have today a new guest, so would you be really kind to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi Florian, my name is uh, Philipp Kleinjäger, um, I work for Core, which is a, um, we like to call ourselves a tech think tank, we position ourselves somewhere between a consultancy, a product builder, um, and an engineering company, you could call us. Um, I also give lectures at the Exponential University in Potsdam, part-time. And um, yeah, I've been in the IT and uh, banking field for roughly 20 years now. I'm, uh, I'm 36 years old and I started while I was still at university uh, developing for a small software company that was later bought by one of the biggest uh, providers of core banking software, FIS. At the beginning of my career, I, I started uh, writing Visual Basic and then worked on uh, the portfolio management system that we were developing. Intermittently, I, I uh, went to university and did something completely different. I thought, um, okay, so enough sellers and computers, I want to do something else. I went to the RWTH in, in Aachen, studied at the TU Darmstadt, and then went on to uh, get my PhD at uh, the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. Um, I started out with um, material science, focusing on solid-state physics, then uh, went to uh, get my PhD at the Institute of Technical Physics in, in Karlsruhe. I stayed a little bit in Northern America. I was in, at the Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal and at MIT. And uh, yeah, then I don't know, I somehow ended back up in banking and uh, IT. I have been doing it for the past six years. And uh, yeah, worked on everything, starting from big IT transformation projects to big IT strategy projects, building some uh, some fintechs together with our clients. Um, I'm responsible for the engineering uh, department in, in Core. I'm also, together with a colleague, responsible for our uh, Core Ventures um, yeah. arm. And um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, like you have a definitely an interesting CV. So the first thing I'm always wondering um, is how did you make the decision to do something else? Because sometimes it's really hard to stop, to say, wait a second, and then to, to agree, I want to have a change and do a, go in a different direction. What you did with, with your studies there, uh, how, how did you come to this decision? And second... Um, did you still stay in the IT field? Because IT field transforms much, there's a lot of things happening all the time, or did you really focus on your new field and cut off the, the IT side a bit for this time? Well, I mean, I did go into engineering, so it's not too far off, right? Okay. Because, yeah. I mean, IT is technology in the end, and engineering is technology as well. Yeah. Um, so... I guess it's it's not too far flung. Right? Yeah. I mean, if I look in, uh, at some colleagues of ours, we have theologists, we have mathematicians, we have some people who study German or English or whatever. Um, so given their background, I'd say um, what I did wasn't too far of a reach. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, well, how did I make that decision? I, I just, I don't know. Um, I just felt like it. Um, I was kind of bored with uh, with developing software at the time yeah. you know i thought sitting in front of a pc screen for 10 12 hours a day got a bit boring i yeah. wanted to see what else was out there and uh, whether i could use the skills that i had acquired in in a different field 
Um, also, my dad has a, has an engineering background, so yeah. I always thought, okay, I have to be at least as good as him. Yeah. Um, so I went to university, uh, took a look at, or I, I tried to find uh, those studies that had a really broad um, that had a really broad outlook. Yeah. So for for material science, which is um, what I studied. You have kind of the best of uh, of electrical engineering and structural engineering. There's some physics, some math, yeah. some chemistry. So you have a bit of everything, yeah. um, and you can get a really good overview, and then um, choose what uh, fits your interest best, and then you know do a deep dive on on your on on what you like best. So that was something. Then I also I really enjoyed being at university, right? Yeah. Being, when I studied. Uh, which is now quite a long time ago. Um, we still, or we didn't have the bachelors and the masters, um, so you were very free to do how you how you wanted. Right yeah. during the semester, you could basically organize your time however you wanted. You could go to university, you could go to all of the courses, or you just stayed away. I don't know. Uh, went out with friends, did some sports, and so on. I, I always worked on the side. Um, and um, yeah, I just generally enjoyed my time. Thankfully, uh, my, my parents allowed me to, you know, study a year longer. So I didn't finish in five, but in six. Um, and um, yeah, I just in, enjoyed the time at university. And then I went on to get my PhD because I thought I really enjoy uh, the field that I was working in. Um, I was lucky enough to, to have some professors with uh, whom I could work on uh, on, on papers while I was still a student, so I naturally, you know, slipped into the into the research yeah. field. Um, thought it was really interesting, and then uh, when I was in in the U.S., I I, I felt that you know um, the I wanted to do something else entirely again. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to bring together, you know, the engineering that I had learned at university and also the, uh, the development that I had been doing before um, and try to look, you know, where, where I had the most, let's say, freedom, right? So I applied at all of the big, um, the big industry companies um, and also to some, to some uh, consultancies, you know, the big ones. Um, and yeah, in the end, I ended up at, at this company because uh, a student friend of mine um, found out that I was looking for a job, invited me, and uh, here at, at Corby, you have extreme freedom to you know develop yourself however you want. I think it also shows in the diversity of of the people that we employ. Um, I always or uh, one colleague that I'm thinking of, you know, he's one of our best engineering managers. And he studied theology in university, right? Which is quite uncommon, I'd say. Why, why is he so good without the IT background? What, what makes him so good? Um, I, I think, uh, well, he, he found a topic that I was really enthusiastic about. Uh, and we helped him learn all of the skill set that he needed in order to become really good at it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's also something probably everyone can take from, from your story, like... The, the, the courage to explore and to be open for new things and to go really broad is really cool and it will be more, even more valuable in our times because stuff gets more complicated, it gets really way more connected than ever before. And also the second thing, to take your time for that, even if our system goes way more with Bachelor and Master, really, really more efficient, it's definitely a really valuable lesson. And the last thing also I liked is that you said you worked on the side. That's also something as a student, never forget, 
a steady life is not a real life. So always work on the side to get a feeling of how things happening in the company. So to don't get too much to surprise if you change to a working place. This is also the last thing really, really, really important to t as a takeaway. Cool. So you 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 started into the really early or like you started in the banking sector. Yeah, I mean, I, I when I started working, right, I it was complete coincidence that I ended up, you know, working for that software company and not something else. In fact, when I was starting there, I couldn't really code, right? But they gave me a super boring job doing, I don't know, some, some ERP stuff. And uh, I thought, okay, there must be a more efficient way of doing this than, yeah. you know, spending six hours a day uh, trying to sort through the data. So I just started Googling and that's how I taught myself VBS. And then, I don't know, five days in, I told my, my boss, okay, I'm done. And he's like, how did you do yeah. that? I mean, it should have taken you six weeks. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. can you possibly be done? Yeah. Um, and obviously, or they, they were super happy that uh, that I could do these things, and yeah. they said, "Okay, you can definitely come back." Yeah. And by the way, guys, it's still a super valuable skill. Like Edward Snowden um, was only able to copy all the NSA data because he automized his own work. <laughs> like he wrote scripts for all the things he needed to do as administrator, and then with the scripts, he had the time to copy all the data. So just in case, like this. This thinking and the skill to automate stuff, it's still really valuable even I, I think today. Yeah, and I think, um, I think it becomes more relevant every time, right? Because um, trying to automate all of the processes is really difficult if you don't design the processes with this algorithmic mindset from the beginning, right? I think that's also something um, that a lot of the industries are struggling with because they are just trying to take the processes at the, as they are and trying to somehow squeeze them in the computer. Yep. And they think this is digitization. Yep. And it really isn't because a lot of the times you have to basically remodel your, um, your business model you know, with an understanding of how you can implement this efficiently. And this, that's also um, why I think that a lot of the fintechs are doing really well because they have looked at how banking um, works. They have tried to uh, re uh, to reinvent how to provide the same services, but with a completely auto or in a completely automated and, and scalable way. And then they have implemented them again from scratch. And yeah. I think that's uh, also the reason why why a lot of the banking industry is moving a bit slow, um, because well, yeah. The systems are huge. They also cover a much broader spectrum than a lot of the fintechs are doing. And obviously, it's a lot more difficult to automate or, or to, to reinvent everything at the same time. Whereas if you just take one product, it's much, much easier to get it to market really quick. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, it's like the banking field is really interesting because it's really traditionally. Like it's kind of old, like banks exist normal, normally for a long time. And they also were with digitalization quite early because it was it made sense for them to stop using paper and go to the computers in an earlier way than, than most companies. And so there's still the legacy systems which are hard to replace because um, if your whole banking transformation or trans, tra um, transition sending system of money 
um, relies on this old system. It's hard to replace them and stop them. And well, and it's do, not do only the, the old system, right? It's also the regulation and the standards. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, as you said, um, the finance industry was one of the first to, um, to start using computers. So a lot of the systems, a lot of the standards, also the organizations were, the, um, were developed decades ago. Yeah. And it's very difficult to change a standard that basically works really well and the regulation, so things tend to move a lot slower. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that all of the banks are really traditional. I think it's more that, um, so I, because there is a broad range, right? Some are really traditional and wear suits, whereas other, you know, are not as traditional. But still things are not moving as quickly, obviously also because they are very tightly controlled from the regulator, right? So if BaFin is telling you, you need to do it exactly like this, you can't change things exactly. all of a sudden. Um, I remember I asked uh, uh, one of, a person of a big bank, um, why startups can do it so much easier than, than big banks and they said like they are not on the on the radar radar of the buffing so they use this for their advantage and try out a lot experiment more a lot and then if they get bigger then they check with the buffing i'm yeah. not sure if this is correct well i mean it's, just it's certainly opinion. one aspect right because i mean buffing is tasked with the stability uh, of of the capital market yeah. in, in germany or of the financial market in, in germany um, which means that you know they don't need to control everybody as tightly. If you're just some unimportant startup that you know has no assets at all, or you know I don't know a few thousand euros basically, um, if the startup dies, the founders will be very sad. Yeah. But, but if, it. if yeah. a big bank you know tips over, um, yeah. then all of the companies in German uh, in Germany have a problem. Exactly. And that is the difference. And that is one aspect. I think um, there is another aspect, which is that um, when you start out as a as a company, um, you don't have all those predefined processes, all those uh, all those old systems, and um, you can just you know design a target operating model that is fit for purpose and yeah. fit for one purpose. If you uh, take a look at the more um, at the more uh, successful fintechs or at the more successful startups um, in general, they will all become slower over time. Yeah. Why? Because they grow and because yeah. they need the stability. They yeah. need to trade uh, flexibility for stability. Yeah. So I think this is uh, something that is not only true for the finance industry, it's uh, true for every industry, but obviously the more highly regulated an industry are, the, the uh, let's say, the, the slower um, it becomes, the bigger the, it gets. And it's still the holy grail to be able as a big, big company to stay innovative and to be flex stay flexible as much as you can. Typical example is Amazon, Google, um, Apple. They're still innovative. They still come out with new things and they show it. It is possible as a big company. So out of your experience, which would you say, which big bank is leading the tribe and you say, okay, they, they do a good enough job or they do a better job than the others? Can you, can well, you that, tell that's, us? That's, very, that's a very difficult question to answer. Obviously, I'm tempted to say the names of some of our clients, <laughs> but I won't. You're um, free to. I, you I can think, also say I, I think, in theory. Uh, no, I, I think um, there are a few institutes that are, or let, let me rephrase that. Um, 
a lot of the institutes are really good at something um, okay. and are are uh, and have their challenges with uh, with other topics. So at the moment, I wouldn't say that there is a clear winner. Yeah. Um, but there are some trends that you can see in the yeah. industry, right? Um, so there are some that are more open to the fintech ecosystem and yeah. try to uh, try to integrate the services and the and the products. Uh, that's one very interesting strategy because it means they don't have to develop everything in house. Yeah. You know, they can try to uh, provide the best in class or the best in class services to their customers and basic basically become. Uh, let's say a finance platform yeah. for their for their clients. So, so that's a very yeah. interesting concept. Um, there are some of the uh, startups, you know, that are uh, that are extremely strong in their niche. Yeah. Um, so especially in the payments and accounts sector, um, there are a lot of startups these days that you know. The, the Except Wirecard. <laughs> well, Wirecard not so much anymore. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, there's there are lots of interesting uh, lo lots of interesting fintechs, and um, it's evolving the ecosystem, right? In the beginning, everybody was going for the let's say easier use cases such as payments, such yeah. as accounts. Um, now there's uh, now there is a tendency to move into loans, um, also into investment products, and also into SME products. So the more let's say corporate focused um, banking uh, banking services. Um, but you know there is also merit in uh, in some of the more traditional approaches because if you look at um, which banks are doing well at the moment, a lot of the incumbents are not bad off at all. So even you know Sparkasse, Volks- and Raiffeisenbanken, and so on, more the the, the more let's say um, uh, the, the, the that are active in in the whole uh, in the whole region or you know everywhere, in which are Germany. really locally. Based locally connected exactly, yeah. uh, and you know, in the end, um, what everybody is doing is sales. Yeah. If you're active everywhere, that's that's a big asset as well. Yeah. So I couldn't say who I see winning. Yeah. It'll, it, it's still. I think the race is still open, and it'll be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. What I do believe, however, is that um, there are too many banks. If you compare uh, the number of banks in Germany with the number of banks in other European countries, um, Germany has uh, multiple, so a factor of I don't know, five times more banks, for example, than, uh, than, than Spain. But we have also five times more savings, right, than Spain? So maybe that's the reason. Oh, yeah, but, uh, if we have more money to spread, so I, maybe I, I, we I need more have, banks. I should have, uh, I should have um, defined that, that better. Per capita, okay. Germany yeah. has five times more. Okay, banks. okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it could be good. It could be bad. It's depending how good um, the banks are able to diverse themselves from the others. And there's probably technology playing a big field. There's PSD two, which is like regulation, open up your systems, and probably there's also a big part of how you build up your culture. From the people, like banks, have the the challenge that they are really traditional, really um, be on the safe side, go with the um, go with the regulations, don't do stupid things. So this is probably another challenge for them to, because it's the opposite of being innovative. Like being safe, always be cautious is the opposite of being innovative and try things out. So this is probably the two biggest deciding factors: how good you handle your technology, and the other how good you handle your culture, right? Well. Um, 
Yes and no. I think the, the answer is, uh, is a bit more complex um, because if you consider what the banks are doing or what a lot of banks are doing um, with IT, and if you, if you take a moment to look at what they are trying to sell, I mean, most of the banks are not trying to sell you technology, right? I mean, yeah. basically, you want to be able to pay. Yeah. As, as a customer, you don't care whether you have an account, you yeah. don't care about the system. Yeah. I mean, yes, you know, some of, the, some of them are, are doing or are, are trying to push technology XYZ, but in the end, as a customer, you don't want to spend money, right? You want to buy a product, you it's want about, to own a product. Yeah, or it's about the experience you to don't have enough of the money, use of the so money. You need a yeah. loan. Uh, you, yeah. want, you have too much money and you want to invest it to, exactly. make, to make sure that it gets even more. Yeah. And you know, how, however you address that need, I think is more important than yeah. you know, the technology that you use yeah. it for. So um, if you consider the IT that you need in order to provide those services, there, there is some, let's say, customer-facing uh, software like apps, your online banking, yeah. all of the channels. Um, and that is market differentiating. If you uh, take a look at what's happening in the background, um, the users certainly don't care because what kind of system you use for the accounts, nobody's really interested in. And some of the banks don't care either because they say, you know, it's technology. I just want an account system that's working. It or just needs I to don't work. even mm. want an account system. I want somebody that can provide me with yeah. accounts that I can sell under my name. Yeah. So I think there will also be a consolidation taking place in the in everything that is not customer facing because yeah. when you consider it, it's not really market differentiating um, and it's a volume business. So I think you know we'll see the uh, we'll see the advent of some big um, processing centers that provide banking services yeah. in the background. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, also to to. Add a quote of Bill Gates. He said, uh, "We need banking, but we don't need banks." So this is also the summary of what you said. Like people are not interested in banks; they are into, interested in the way of banking. That means in the way of spending money, and then how it's how it's be done. It can be freely um, defined, and they're probably also interested in the interaction with experts, like for investing or something, or like the options you have, and just like the local. Local field, if Eschbach has a, like a saving bank, is really locally well connected, adding a lot of value to the local system, they will not die. They will survive. Yes, and I mean, if you take a look at uh, how the, or if you take a look at how um, financing happens in the, uh, in the US, it's quite different from how companies um, are financing themselves over here in Europe. Right? Yeah. Because here in Europe, if you, uh, especially if you found a company, um, well, it's certainly changed a little bit in the last year. So yes, now um, there is uh, a lot more access to uh, to, to venture capital um, and a lot more, let's say, uh, investment banking is also taking place here. But if you want to start a company, you need some money in order to, to start out, right? And then you need some money in order to, I don't know, to, to build out a certain product or yeah. to invest in, in certain assets. Um, and a long time and you know um, the majority of companies still work like this in, in Europe um, you get a loan yeah and you get a loan from a bank yeah um, and the bank is able to provide you that loan because on the other hand they uh, they are acquiring their liquidity from the people who have their accounts there for yeah. example right 
But um, a lot of the companies in the US, they finance themselves differently. They finance themselves over the capital market, yeah. you know, um, with, with stocks and going public yeah. and so on. And that's a big difference, right? Because for going public, you can uh, get money from you and me, um, but I can't give you a loan. Yeah, but like, that is a big difference in how you know companies are financing themselves. But still regulated over the stock market, right? As long as you don't go over blockchain, it's still regulated yeah, yeah, of over course, the of course. stock market. But you know, still the, the underlying yeah. financial mechanic is completely different. different. Yeah, correct. Because yeah. you know, it's not one big uh, bank that is deciding. Do I give you that loan? You know, it's all of the investors who are saying, "Well, I believe in Tesla," or yeah. "I don't believe in yeah. Wirecard." Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. Mm. Would you say one is more powerful than the other, or is it hard to say? Hard to well, make this uh, distinction? I mean, it. Uh, I, I think it depends. Um, so, what you can, if you just took, uh, if you just look at the numbers, obviously there is more venture capital uh, available in the U.S. and um, the development over here in Europe is also that people uh, tend to uh, to think this uh, or. It's a good thing that there is lots of money available to start new companies, right? Because it means a lot of innovation can take place. Because as we discussed earlier, smaller companies tend to be faster, yeah. and more flexible. Yeah. Um, so that is why also all of the innovation hubs and the startups and yeah, startup accelerators and so on are, are popping up everywhere, yeah. right? Um, so I think it's beginning. We're still decades behind uh, behind the US, but there is also some cases where um, it's easier to get to get a loan right so i think it really depends on what kind of situation you are in if you should get a loan from somebody or if you're able to to go to go public right because i mean if you're a really small company um, and you don't uh, you're not able to um, to, uh, to to get venture capital uh, or you don't want to give away uh, equity of your company a loan is better right because you don't have to give away equity yeah correct Yeah, it's really interesting. It like also goes along with the different um, different way of doing stuff from America versus Germany. Like, we traditionally were really engineeringly based, really careful, and we still had innovation in the past. That's the question, how much we have innovation still right now. But it, it, there's a reason why our small, mid-sized companies are really successful. And this happened in the past from innovation from there. So it's kind of the question if we should adapt more or if we should try to to make this strength even stronger. It's it's hard to tell, but really you you have a better opinion on that. These are both like you you have an engineering degree, so probably you have yeah, even I a better it's, insight it's, on that. It's, it's it's all about the mixture. Yeah. If you uh, if you only push one solution, um, like you said earlier, you know if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and it's yeah. always good to have a tool set available. Yeah and then choose the right tool for the job. So I wouldn't say one is generally preferable over the other. I think uh, we need all of these tools in order to make sure, you know, that uh, that, that we prosper. So, and it, it's it's the same, you know, with technology as well. Um, uh, monocultures are generally bad. So you, you need to be able to phase in and phase out certain tools, um, you know, depending on what the use cases that you, uh, that you yeah. need to work do, on. Do you see enough diversity in the technology field or do we go really fast in the model culture? Like well, I mean, let, let me give you one example that has nothing to do with banking. Um, 
I think uh, it's it's bad if you need to uh, if you need uh, to to forbid a certain technology. Let's take uh, mobility. Right? Saying we don't have the the classical cars anymore might be a problem because that means you know we are we are in effect establishing an ecosystem. If everything is using uh, is using batteries, it might not be a good thing because. I don't. I, I'm not an expert in mobility, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I. It's certainly true that we need to change how our mobility works. But um, you know whether batteries are the best solution or whether there might be another solution around the block. I don't know. But if you put something in law, if you regulate it, as we discussed earlier, it's very difficult to change. So I. I think it's more preferable if we define certain uh, certain uh, thresholds or certain parameters that need to be met. And then we let the market decide, you know, how it's best uh, to reach those those goals. But that that's that is done if you forbid petrol cars, right? If you forbid petrol cars, it doesn't mean that you say we go into the battery field. It just says we don't have, want to have this whole CO two emission from petrol cars. So of course you can do with subsidies, you can push a little bit in this direction, but at least Germany did like. That's the reason why this whole car companies go right now on electric, but didn't go before because they were not sure if, um, if uh, um, like if which which technology will win, if the electric will be the winner or not, and that right now they just follow the lead of, of Tesla. Um, well, I, I like I said, I'm I'm not an expert, um, but you know, there's there's e fuels, yeah. there's the there's the yeah. um, what are they called, the fuel cells. So hydrogen-based um, based electricity or based uh, mobility. Um, we'll see where it leads. Yeah. But with respect to, uh, to the industry, do we have, or to the IT industry, do we have a monoculture? I wouldn't say so. I mean, if we take a look um, at the last 10 years or so, and if you take a look um, at the, at the uh, programming languages, I mean, yes, Java has been around forever. Yeah. Um, but... Um, Go has you know has surfaced rather recently. Python is is kind of there popular. There is lots of frameworks yeah. you know that pop up. Everybody's yeah. using them for for three years, and then I don't know two yeah. years on nobody's yeah. using them again. It's a good and example. I think, yeah. I, I think that's um, that's something that is important. You know, to design um, all of your products in a fairly modular way, using some interfaces so you can make sure that you are able to switch out technology or yeah. uh, services down the road right because again we don't know uh, the next uh, innovation that is around the corner and it might be cheaper it might be faster it might be i don't know higher quality um, and uh, so i think the the important thing is to be able to um, to to decide where you want to move next so yeah. Having options available that you can choose from is more important than having a super highly optimized system right now. Yeah. So, but if we say, okay, the like banking sector moves into the direction of cloud because it makes sense to fulfill what you said, like to do the background stuff more in an efficient way and focus on the things you want to be diverse of the others or you want to be better. Um, cloud makes sense. It makes sense to put this in a different hands, this, this part of the business. But if you check in the cloud sector, there's like Amazon Web Services and Azure. There's like the and Google Cloud. They're like free players which which offer you the service. And yeah, maybe there's Digital Ocean as well. So 
But do you think there's enough diversity in there, or is it not important on this level? Um, well, I mean, there, there's a few other players, um, even German ones, smaller ones. Uh, I mean, some of the retail, uh, retailers are building their own cloud. Oh, yeah. So um, you mean Otto Group, for example, they're building their own cloud. For yeah, example, yeah. Um, yeah. and some, some others as well. There is also the Asian players. Yeah, um, okay. So, yes, yeah. I, I guess there is a dozen or yeah. so providers. Fair enough, yeah. Um, and, well, uh, I, I think it's not a, that is actually not a question of, of monoculture. It's a question of... of um, of size, yeah, because the kind of services that they provide, you know, infrastructure, um, you can automate a lot, but investing in that automation is extremely expensive. And if you're a smaller provider, investing all of that money into automation isn't economical. Yeah. Um, so the bigger you are, the more you can invest in automation, in security. Yeah. Uh, in, in optimizing in even you know specialized hardware, um, so I think that's uh, that that's a rather let's say that's a strategic development that we will see more of in the future because it's a commodity, yeah. right? I mean, sourcing a, a virtual machine somewhere is not something where you can distinguish yourself through quality. You know, yeah. it's a standard product, and whether you get it from provider one, two, or three doesn't really matter. And if something becomes a commodity, that means you know. Size wins, volume wins. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Which is why I think yes, it, it, the the whole industry will definitely move in that direction. Yes, there are some um, some some drawbacks and also some special use cases where you might not want uh, to move to the cloud. But I think the general direction that the industry is taking with respect uh, with respect to uh, where the where the infrastructure is being sourced uh, from, um, it will not revert. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think there are like enough German players in the, in, the, in the cloud space saying data protection and so on? Or like not German, Europe players, let's say this? Because well, obviously no. Um, <laughs> if, you take at the, uh, if you take a look at the numbers, um, the, the answer is, is obvious. And uh, it also becomes a, a geopolitical question at some yeah. point, right? Uh, so that is something that, uh, that we need to discuss and where we need to, uh, where need, where we need to find solutions. Um, but again, you know, um, it's like with the platforms. Um, that is something where I think you, you effectively have to regulate because there is no other way. Um, because, you know, uh, it's, it's like the, the Highlander, you know, there can be only one. And eventually, you know, the market forces stop working. So you need to somehow regulate it because else at one point there will be one large provider who does everything and that's not good for anybody. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking about this as well. Like typical example um, platform, like the communication platforms, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I'm even thinking right now they are critical infrastructure. There's no difference between Twitter and a street. So, and... Critical infrastructure should be belonging to the government. Well, I mean, I think the, the a street is maybe um, not the perfect uh, comparison. I would more liken them to the media industry, right? Like a newspaper. And I concur with you that you need to regulate it because it's such a huge platform that it basically constitutes a, a monoculture. Yeah. And it has extremely wide reach. And the uh, regulation for Twitter, Facebook, and all of the networks uh, is completely different from the media industry. Um, 
which I guess uh, I mean, now we, we are moving way off topic and I'm certainly not an expert, but I've read some articles in, uh, recently um, who said that you know the, the advent of all of the uh, of all of the uh, what do you call the, the populists uh, in, in politics is due to the fact to all of these uh, to, to all of these um, to all of these ecosystems who are not in touch with anything else yeah. and due to the failing or due to the missing regulation because you know if you own a newspaper um, you have a code right you you are you are considered one of the you know the, the fourth column in Germany all of that discussion and you are responsible you are reachable you, you have a responsibility and the big platforms um, they well they are certainly not as highly regulated so that is something that we need to take a look at but then again um, uh, you know if, if we take a look at, at the cloud or at the hyperscalers again the infrastructure providers maybe there is something happening already I mean I have uh, it, it's not live yet and we'll see where this goes um, but the whole uh, development surrounding Gaia-X that's certainly something that uh, might become interesting because um, they are trying to define a standard um, that will make that will basically um, equalize the differences so it doesn't matter whether you're sourcing from provider one two or three everything behaves the same way so what, that, what is Gaia X again um, that, that's uh, that's a politic well uh, it's it's a bit big project that was uh, initiated by uh, by the state uh, and by by other states in the European Union that are collaborating building a new cloud uh, standard for, Ger yeah. uh, for for Germany and for the EU as well yeah providing uh, standardized services so it doesn't matter whether you become you know the customer of your local little data center or the bigger provider that is active all over Europe they're all providing the same services and some of the the big players are also are also part of the collaboration Microsoft for example um, is part of that initiative as that's well. a, that's a smart idea so you you force a framework in which everyone needs to follow and then you get the standardization with it that's not not a stupid idea. Well, Could I mean, work. It, it, yes, I mean, it, it's, it's about standards again, right? The idea, again, is not new. Um, because yeah. if, you, if you think back um, 30 years or 40 years, um, all of the networks, all of the mobile networks were working differently. Correct. Um, and some of them had their own message uh, standards. Yeah. Uh, it's like WhatsApp, right? At the moment, it's a closed ecosystem. But what they did back then was that they said, okay, so everybody has to use this one standard. It's called SMS. And everybody has to support it. So that means, you know, you basically force the providers um, and the companies to open their ecosystems. Therefore, you force them to open their markets. And th by, you know, that way you make sure that there is competition again. It's also the main reason why we are with the Internet where we are today. Because um, platforms allowed it to make certain things easier and faster. And with this, the internet could develop and could create cool things you hadn't before because it was made by standards everyone agreed on and the standards normally also lead to good or better results because it, it, it um, made newer technologies, newer hardware better, easier, like easier usable. So um, that's, it ended in the cloud at the end, in the standardization of the cloud because we could easily 
start a 4EM and you could easily size it up to all the needs you want and then... Um, but I mean, it's still taking place, that standardization, right? I mean, if you take a look at the container ecosystem, there are some industry standards, de facto industry standards, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody is using Kubernetes, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, so I think um, in some areas it actually works better than before because the whole open source idea is about, you know, making these ideas open to everybody. So if you want to implement a system that uh, that that works better but provides the same APIs, you can switch out Kubernetes uh, and use something else. Or you know, uh, on the other or, or from from the other perspective, you can use Docker or you can use one of the alternatives, and it's all interchangeable. Yeah. And I think that's very conducive to to have uh, to 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 you know an evolving technology base because it means better ideas. Um, don't have or have the possibility to compete with the established ideas. I think, yeah, I completely agree. And I think also the next area which this should be happening is probably machine learning. Because I think, out of my perspective, this would be the next step to have the, this automation side more standardized and more comparable and more... But I mean, yes, uh, but you know, a lot of the, the big um, machine learning frameworks are open source, right? So yes, I mean, they, they certainly have uh, certain approaches and I'm sure, you know, some years down, down the road, uh, we'll, we'll have more standardization. But the fact that um, a lot of them are open source, uh, I think is, is very good because it doesn't mean it's proprietary technology. Yeah, but like to, to do a well standardization, which is... We, we discussed, we came to the conclusion that it's a big factor that's needed. Like they need to have better ways to make algorithms transparentable. They, it's, it's a really difficult topic because it's, it's created by the data you train your network on. And then to make this transparentable, what the network is then doing is a, quite a big challenge. But it would be interesting move of politics to force this. This would be really interesting yes, to force Google and all the others and Facebook and one to to make their make their algorithms trans transparent. This would be a huge step, and it would be also a cool step because regulations is always the problems they are behind. Technology is really fast, politics is really really slow. But to to make a move like that and let um, judges decide if it's transparent or not. Or not. Well, it's, it's a, a quite nice challenge, I would say. It's a, I, I'd say it's a very difficult topic um, because, I mean, the the frameworks are open, right? You can take a look at them. The models are not. They they code the the data set that they have been trained on. Um, but if you compare, you know, the decisions that uh, that a model is taking with the decisions that a human is taking, I mean, tell me the difference. Uh, whether you like uh, vanilla or chocolate ice cream, I can't look in your head. And the same is happening, you know, if you take a look at uh, at some of the models that they are using, for example, in banking, deciding who gets uh, who gets a loan and who doesn't get a loan. Um, if, but, if there's a, if there's a person yeah, sitting, but you know, he he also has some some preconceptions and you know. Yeah, it's a problem, and that's like a huge issue. It's a huge issue that our algorithms are biased. It's a huge issue that like an algorithm which is trained uh, to help um, separate. Um, but the al I would disagree because the algorithm isn't biased. You know, they are trained on data that have been produced by people who are biased. So basically, what the algorithm is doing is reproducing the bias of the people. Who, who, you know, who created if, that data yeah, set. Yes, but if we say um, algorithms should help us to make better decisions, 
if we say technology is there to help us to have a better life, it's a really, really bad example if Microsoft puts out this Twitter bot and say, people, you can interact with him and train him, and he gets in, in, in one day racist, really racist, because people throw, throw stuff on him, and Microsoft needs to stop this experiment. It's a, it shows really nicely that, like, this is probably not the best way to go. Because if you check, um, YouTube had the huge issue that there was a lot of content for kids. And if you let the autoplay on, um, I think um, scientists figured out in eight videos you are really on the extreme field. There's a really nice TED talk on it, which I can link in the, in the podcast description, which showed how fucked up the videos got young kids watch from the beginning of a nice little song in eight videos to where I say, okay, this is not good. This is an algorithm. It doesn't matter why it is like that. Yeah, but but, but hold, then it is like this, it's a I, huge I problem. Yes, it's a problem, but you know, I think it's interesting because if you solve those kinds of problems with technology, um, you, can, you can try to fix it, right? I mean, trying to make people change is much more difficult than uh, trying to uh, gauge how your algorithm, uh, algorithm is deciding and trying to, to work on that bias. Because getting people to make unbiased decisions is probably a lot larger than trying to work on your algorithm and exactly. making sure that the model takes unbiased decisions. That's because true. on the one hand, you can measure it uh, and you can, you can, let's say, fix it and make sure that from now on it, it takes good decisions. Whereas with people... Yeah, probably more difficult. That's, that's yeah. the reason why I would force it more on the algorithm than on the people. Because how you said, it's really difficult to um, to get people to do a behavior change. It's 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 part of innovation to be able to bring people to a behavior change. Because then your innovation is successful. Then to to put the burden on the on the big tech companies and say, hey, you're smart, solve this issue, and. Um, the problem is how they solve it right now is they let people watch videos and then um, like like accept them or, or decline them and then this poor people need to watch like really really hardcore not good for your soul shit you don't want to watch you don't want to see a puppy burning in, in hot water like it's in, in, this is also not a good solution it, I don't know the solution how you see as well but I would as a regulatory I would put the burden on the big companies. They have enough money, they have enough resources, they have the smart people. Let's see what and they come yeah, up with. And yes, the, yes, you are right. But, you know, I, I think that uh, it's an interesting point that you're making because it brings us back to the discussion about the media uh, yeah. companies, right? I mean, as, as a newspaper um, publisher, you are responsible for making sure there are no extremist views yeah. in your newspaper. Yeah. And uh, um, equivalently... As, uh, as uh, a media outlet, a media platform in the internet, you should also be responsible um, for making sure there are no extremist uh, videos, tweets, whatever, on your platform. I think we can see the beginning of that development already. I mean, if you take a look at the, um, at the election in the US at the moment, um, some of the uh, platforms took a decision to uh, take a stand against you know, extremist views. Are we there yet? Is it the same level and is it working as well as it needs to be? Certainly not, so a lot needs to happen in that field. But I think the fact alone that uh, we are having this discussion or that this discussion is taking place is already forcing those companies. Um, do we need some additional laws? Well, probably yes. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think you also need to 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 how do you say to gauge um, the regulation with the freedom because first you need to see you know the, the good developments and the bad developments in order to make sure that you foster the good ones and you 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 uh, try to slow down the bad ones. Um, but if you if you try to regulate too early. You will stifle innovation. Innovation, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a really interesting topic, and it will be interesting to see how it plays out, because politics is traditionally not really good to to shape our future actively. They kind of respond to things what happening and then be a bit late. So this will be interesting to see um, what what they come up with and what happens. Like one small example which really disturbs me. Um, so if someone out there has a solution for it, I would be open for it. Is if you if you check under a YouTube video random comments, there's a lot of stuff going on if where you think, okay, interesting. And then you try to follow this person that wrote this, what else they wrote, you have no chance to find this out. YouTube prevents actively from searching people with their comments. It they just don't allow it. They actively forbid you to do this. Where I think, okay, you 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 create a room which like no control at all, and stuff can happen automatically with bots or whatever. I I don't know if this is bots or not. Like I just would like to know, but I have no way to find out because I can't really check out what these people do, and I can't even. If this would be a way to figure out if this is a real person or not, and I don't want to censorship. I just want to have more transparency and like see what's going on there. So. If you want to do something disturbing, <laughs> go under like, let's say, like under some YouTube videos. You you will figure out what's your own you because you know what I mean, and then see some extreme comments yeah, think, where think, you're you really know, confused. There is an, an underlying, uh, let's say, issue um, which you can't really solve with technology. I mean, a lot of the uh, newspapers. Or all of the newspapers, at least in Germany, you know, if you want to comment below an article of theirs, um, it has to be screened by um, the by the newspaper. So your comment only gets published, you know, if they first made sure that you're not breaking any laws, you're not uh, yeah. fostering any extremist views, and so on and so on. Um, and obviously, a lot of the, uh, the the big platform platforms are not doing it because they're not regulated in the same way. Um, and it's also difficult because you know those are global um, uh, global platforms. So it's not only Germany. So yeah. the laws that we have here yeah. don't always apply to everywhere else. Um, so that's something you know where we need to find a solution. Um, but I think the underlying problem is that you know the people really want to make those comments. Yeah. Like the people really yeah. want to uh, post those videos and uh, yeah. you know, I don't know, disturbing pictures and whatever. And I think the only thing that you can really do um, is educate people. Yeah, uh, and I, that is something that yeah. you know where technology can certainly help. You know, but yeah. making sure that everybody has access to education um, is much much more important than trying to filter out the comments because you know you don't fix the real problem my, my idea was also not to filter out I would like to have just more transparency to understand this issue more without being restrictive to make this clear but also the interesting thing is about educational like it it was never easier than today to get educated you don't need money you can just go online there are really good platforms there's really good Wikipedia so can you can start to educate yourself really easier easier than ever before but like 
it doesn't mean that like you educate the personality better, like you get better as a personality out of there. So this would be a nice topic for yeah. schools, I mean, because it, schools are not only there out of my perspective to, to push knowledge into people, that's boring, that's not interesting. You can easily get any knowledge you want through internet. It's really interesting to create good personalities to help them to be team players, to help them to find their way to passion, to find the way they want to go. So this is also another interesting challenge for the future to make schools a better place for personality growth. Yeah, certainly. But I mean, we, you have to uh, you have to remember that we are in a very privileged situation here. So for us, Correct. it's very uh, easy to get education. Um, people elsewhere are not as fortunate as us. Um, and I think it's also important, you know, that you get a comprehensive education because just learning what you are personally interested in leads to a very narrow point of view. And I think, you know, it's very important that we have, um, that we have agendas in, in, in schools and also yeah. in universities that make sure that, you know, even, you, that even uh, if you don't like it, you still have to learn, I don't yeah. know about the German classics and, yeah. and stuff like that because you know I think it, it, it forms your character to have a better understanding of how everything fits together yeah. it's a really nice example and I completely agree and we are also there in a closing circle of the beginning because what you made really well was like to be really open and to have a lot of different influences from different fields and then could decide better what you want and what you don't want but first you had this input from mathematics, physics yeah so I completely agree with that. Um, this is a point to 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 have in mind. Um, another question I would like to have for you is: um, if someone else wants, like a young person, finished school, wants to be in your shoes and wants to be working in a consulting company, what would be the best way to go about it? I think uh, you need to be open to new experiences, you need to be highly motivated, intrinsic motivation is, is very uh, important and um, given the fact that we work a lot, you have to really like what you're doing because you won't spend 10 hours or more a day working on your projects if you don't find them fascinating. So I mean, in, in, in uh, the kind of work that we do we don't work for 10 years on the same problem, for 10 years in the same uh, position, for 10, 10 years in the same department. You have lots of change all of the time. Um, so I would say that, yes, there are some experts where you, know, you're, you have specialist knowledge that really helps you a lot, especially, uh, I mean, for our company, there are different ones, but for our company, that is obviously um, an informatics background. But like I said, we have people who studied physics, uh, we have people who studied math, chemistry, German, English, Japanese, we have uh, people who studied theology. Um, so it's not so, so important where you come from, it's important that you find the work fascinating and that you are open to new experiences um, and to learning. So if you apply for a job with your company, you show with your CV that you also not only studied Japanese, you also did a lot of things on the side and like were always experimenting. That's the way how you would see that this person is, yeah, I, I has think the right fit. It, it's the combination of, of factors that make you interesting for, for us or our companies um, like, like ourselves. So one is certainly that you need to have uh, good grades. Um, you need to be really good at what you do. 
Um, you need to uh, you need you need to be ent enthusiastic about your job. Um, you need to be very uh, self-reflected. Um, that helps a lot because we are looking for people you know who who know what they want to achieve. Yeah. Cool. So in in the same same area, you said like you need to be ready to work a lot. How you handle work-life balance? Um, well, like I said, you know, for me, a lot of what I do is what I like doing. So a large part of my job doesn't feel like I need to work. It's just stuff that I would be doing anyway. Yeah. Um, if 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 I had more, let's I don't know if 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 I wasn't working here. Yeah. Um, in the beginning of my job, when I was uh, when I was still a junior, you know, learning all of the big data, cloud technology frameworks and so on, I spent all of my evenings doing that stuff anyway, right? So a lot of uh, what I learned was actually what I needed for my job, but what I had been interested in in the first place. Yeah. So that is that certainly helps. Um, then uh, you need to you need to find a, I don't know an understanding with uh, with your family about what you want to do and how you can um, how you can make it all fit together. I think it's certainly a lot easier today than it was five years ago because now we have you know uh, we have these concepts of four plus one, which means you work uh, only four days and one day is off, or you get two months vacation per year. Um, that's certainly not something that you that you want to do when you start out your career because you need to learn your tool set. And yeah. you know, if you start at the company and say, yeah, but only I only want to work for half a year, um, your intrinsic motivation is probably not as good as it should be. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's something for experts, you know, three, five years down the road. If you you know if you're being considered a very high, uh, highly valuable worker, then that's something that you can do. Um, uh, that's one part. The other part is well, I still try to make time, right? I still do sports. Um, I, I have my hobbies. I spend lots of time with with my son and with my dog and with my wife and with friends. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so again, you know, I think it's about good organization. It's about making sure that. Um, you have all of your topics under control, which again, you know, is easier if you really like what you're doing because then you're good at it. That you can then you can finish in time, and then you know it's also about communication, making sure that you as a team work together so that you know if somebody wants to uh, go out for a run or want to meet some friends, you know, you can discuss and make sure. Okay, today I need the evening off. Can you guys please take over from me? Or tomorrow you want to do X, Y, Z, or need to go to the doctors or whatever, you know. It's, it's about teamwork. It's not about, you know, uh, doing everything yourself. So are you able to, um, to transfer, like to, to use this concept in all fields? Like, are you able to say, okay, I need to do sports. So I, I make sports in the way that I really like to do it and that I stay intrinsic motivated, motivated or. Well, uh, that's a very difficult question. So, um, I would say, well, um, Can you can you combine all of that to somehow make it fit together? Well, yes, certainly. I mean, if I need to take my my son to kindergarten, then I take a run, right? So I have a little yeah. buggy that you can go running with, and yeah. then I take him like that, and then I brought him to kindergarten. Plus, I had one hour of sports, you know. Correct. Um, but I guess that's not exactly what you were asking. Um, so it's uh, one way to do it. It's it's, it's it's also you know I think what you're also asking is do you need it as a sort of balance? Yes, certainly. Because if you're sitting the whole time uh, you know working on extremely uh, challenging topics, 
at least I need some time off, you know, yeah. and uh, running is good, you know, I also play hockey, that's also good for me because then I have my team and uh, competing is, is, uh, is very important for me. So, um, yes, I think it's sometimes you have to force yourself because just doing one thing um, because you don't, uh, you don't want to do the other thing, sometimes you have to force yourself to do it because, you know, I think it's, you know, or let me rephrase that. Um, diversity is not only good you know in your colleagues and your friends and every other aspect of your life but also you know how you spend your time yeah if you always spend your time doing one thing um i think it tends to become a problem yeah which is also closing the circle from the beginning that always be open for new things and try out new things is really good and the second last question i have for you is what are your favorite books Uh, I, I read a lot of um, a lot of sci-fi. I read yeah. a lot of sci-fi, but also a lot of, of classics. So um, favorites of both categories. Well, sci-fi. Something that I really like to read uh, is, is Neil Stevenson. Yeah. So that that's an author that uh, I like a lot. Um, but it, it you know it uh, it depends. It depends on the time of year. Um, it also changes over time. But uh, I, I enjoy uh, the books where I can um, think about new ideas more than the books, you know, where I have to think about or consider problems and confront, you know, emotionally difficult yeah. topics. Yeah. That is not what I like to read yeah. for recreation. It's yeah. interesting that classics help you with that. So what are, like, examples of classics you... Pick, like pick any one of them. Uh, they usually became classics um, because the languages, the languages extremely um, uh, artistic and because the topics somehow endured over time um, so it's also interesting to uh, or a lot of them are, are documentary about the time that they were written in um, and a lot of them sport beautiful language and I enjoy that a lot so and the last question I have for you is uh, what kind of advice would you give to your 18 year old self if we could go back in time um, you mentioned that you found it very interesting that I was so open and uh, I, I certainly, uh, I would tell my earlier self, um, start earlier because it was a process and I think I could have gotten even more experiences. Um, I didn't used to travel a lot when I was younger. Um, I always went to the same place because it's really beautiful and you know uh, seeing the world has helped me you know put a lot of things into perspective as well and I was super busy at the time right I was working I was playing hockey in my team on a very high level I was studying and I had lots of other hobbies um, so it, it was always a trade-off um, but you know uh, seeing the world and meeting people from lots of different backgrounds um, helped me a lot to you know find uh, what I like doing. Cool. And then the last question, what you would tell your 30-year-old if you could go back in time? Ugh, that's not so long ago. Um, I guess the, the advice that my, uh, my dad gave me was really good because at 30 I was just starting out uh, my, my career, right? And he told me, um, opt Don't optimize uh, for the short term, try to optimize the opportunities that you have, you know, uh, making sure that you have, 
that you have the possibility to choose later on once you have a better understanding of what you want is more important than, for example, making lots of money or having the perfect work-life balance now. You know, see where you want to be, you know, try to reflect who you are and what you're looking for and uh, try to make sure that you, um, that you are able to take those decisions when you're ready. Yeah, it's, it's a really good advice. <laughs> yes, I thought so as well at the time. <laughs> Congratulations to your dad. Really good advice. So, um, Philip, it was it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, enjoyed uh, talking with you a lot. And let's yeah. keep in contact. I would I would be happy, and like uh, like people can also find you through the podcast. So it was a pleasure. See you next time. Thanks a lot. <laughs>